Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Peter, how are you today? I'm great, Eric. How about yourself? I'm hot, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is summer. It is summer, but I know that we we spoke a little bit before the podcast. My air conditioner's down. I mean, we all go through these little things here and there. I'm pretty excited, actually, about a young man that's going to come over to fix it. He's young. He's got a young family, and he's been doing great with heating and air. And I had him fix my daughter's furnace last year, and and he did a great job. So he's going to come visit me again today and earn some cash. So at least that's a good thing, right? Good. Something to look forward to. That's right. Peter, I know that on our last podcast, you really spoke with somebody who did concierge primary care. They were specifically a concierge primary care physician, which I had never heard about. So I'm really excited to learn about that. And I recommend any of our listeners that want to learn about that and want a VIP high-touch service when it comes to internal medicine to go back and listen to it because it was really, really surprising, but it was an amazing podcast. And I know today, Peter, you're continuing with the healthcare theme uh, with a conversation about healthcare advocacy. Now, just the title of that, I, I can kind of put together what healthcare advocacy is But really, what's it? I know you're going to take a deep dive into it. What is it about? Well, as you know, wellness is just an important part of all of our conversations with clients and people we're working with. And it's not just about financial wellness either. It's, you know, in order to help our clients on the financial side of things, we're often discussing other aspects of wellness, you know, emotional health, physical, spiritual health. I mean, just these things kind of are part of the conversation. And so while I'm not an expert in all of those areas, sometimes our conversations touch upon non-financial topics. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to be talking to someone who definitely is concerned about our listeners' wellness, and she's focused on the healthcare side of things. And I'd like to introduce Diane Savastano. She's the founder and principal of Health Assist. And over the last bunch of years, Health Assist has really been an important resource for us, and they've helped many of our clients deal with the complexity of Medicare, from signing up to choosing the best products to surround traditional Medicare. And as you mentioned, we'll be talking today about healthcare advocacy, which is a profession that Diane actually helped establish. So Diane, tell us what Health Assist does And if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of history of of your journey, because I always think it's interesting to hear what our guests, where they come from, how they do it. Sure, Peter. Happy to share those things with you. So I I guess in, in one sentence, I would say that as healthcare advocates, we help individuals navigate the healthcare and health insurance systems. Um, And that can take on many different activities, let's just say. But just to go back in terms of my journey, so I began my career as a nurse, but then branched out to do a lot of different things. And I found myself in the corporate world. And uh, it was very interesting because whenever colleagues would find out that I was a nurse, they would seek me out and tell me their tales of woe about the healthcare system. And I found myself just constantly trying to reassure them 
also sort of sharing my insider knowledge about how the healthcare system works. And so I'd help them wade through some of the challenges they were experiencing. I might do some research for them or coach them or help them set up second opinions, things like that. And so I was doing this work very informally for a while and life changes. And I had the idea that maybe there was an unmet need out there and I could create a business uh, doing this sort of thing. So in 2004, I moved back from Florida to Massachusetts and I had the opportunity to really do some research, write a business plan, and I launched Health Assist in, in 2004. And here we are in 2021, and it feels like yesterday. That's great. You know, our journeys are just part of who we are, and, and sometimes they lead us to places that we're not so certain we're, where we'll be. We don't know. That's true. That's yeah. true. I do feel like everything I've done in my life to this point has brought me to this place. And every experience I had, every career opportunity I had, whether it be in clinical work, whether it be in management, hospital administration, outpatient environments, the consulting world, insurance, managed care, it all came together in Health Assist. That's great. Good. Well, there's so much about the American healthcare system that is fantastic. And it seems to me we do certain things really well in this country like our medical technology, our research capabilities. We have lots of options. And if you live near a population center and you have health insurance, chances are you, you have great access to care. But the U.S. system seems to have a lot of challenges as well. It's incredibly fragmented. So what are the challenges that you see? How can the, the consumer navigate these fragmented systems that are just part of living in America? Uh, you're absolutely right. Fragmentation is a major issue within the healthcare system. It's exactly why I founded Health Assist, because I saw that we were operating in silos and there was no one person or no one professional who was kind of pulling it all together. I think we think of our primary care physician as being in that role, but unfortunately, they cannot always function in that role. And so what I really approached this from the perspective of, you know, I tried throughout my career to make the healthcare system better. And then I was frustrated with that, I guess. And then I thought, okay, it is what it is at the moment. We all need to live within it. What can we do to be the most assertive and knowledgeable consumers so that we kind of take control of what we do have control over, and that is us. And how do we create a better experience for ourselves? So when we're working with clients, you know, the ultimate sort of good thing is when someone says, I don't need you anymore because I feel very confident to do all of this on my own. But we have to, you know, acknowledge that it is a flawed system. We have to be aware of what the role is of all the individuals. So we do have our primary care physician, but often we have other specialists who really impact our care. And once you're the specialist, your primary care kind of is put to the side. We have to be assertive. We have to enter meetings with our physicians with an agenda for what it is, uh, with an objective about what it is that we want to accomplish and have agenda items that we want to review. We want to work on our relationships with all of these individuals. We also need to track everything ourselves. And I have to say that over the last 10 years with the advancement 
of patient portals and online medical record systems that has made life so much better, but most people don't even know how to register for their patient portals, let alone use them to the degree that they can to facilitate communication. I am a firm believer that we need to read and hold all of our own medical records. And with some of the patient portals, you can access things. And if you can't that way, then you have to request them the ways that are out there through medical record systems. So I guess, you know, an overall sort of theme here is that you really have to be your own advocate and your own best communicator in order to ask for what you need from the healthcare system. And if you're not getting it, figure out a way to get it by bringing up the fact that you're not getting it. Can't tell you how often one of the agenda items that clients have on their agenda with their physician is our means of communication or our relationship. Sometimes clients will say that they don't feel heard by their physician. They feel interrupted quickly. Uh, They're not feeling they can relay what's going on with themselves. So how do you deal with that in an appointment? We model a lot of that behavior. We do role playing. So that's how we try to deal with, again, this incredibly fragmented system. Not only is it fragmented, but it often feels like a different language. That's true. That's very true. I think that is similar to to financial world. I think it causes a lot of anxiety because oftentimes there's terms, there's expertise that is just hard to understand. It's not easy for many people. You know, one of the major recommendations that First of all, we go to client appointments with clients. And so we've helped them prepare their agenda in advance. We usually will role play. What are you going to say when you get in there? But we're an extra set of eyes and ears. But one of my recommendations to anyone is that you never go to a physician appointment without a care partner. And that care partner could be a professional like us, but it it could also be your spouse or it could be a friend or whatever. And our role sometimes is to watch the dynamics And I can see when a client is not understanding. And so I often, in a very positive way, say, excuse me, Dr. So-and-so, would you mind elaborating on what it is that you're describing right now? Could you please explain what an MRI is and how you go about it or whatever? So having someone else in that role, or sometimes I'm the one who says, oh, I didn't quite understand that because I know my client didn't. And so I highly recommend that people never attend an appointment without a care partner. I have my own personal experience of having I an eye issue where I was in tremendous pain. And the physician told me three times the directions with regards to the eye drops that I needed to take. And I could not comprehend them. And thank God my husband was with me because when I left there, I was embarrassed to ask a fourth time, but I was in such pain. It just wasn't even sinking in. So imagine if you're having a discussion about something that's really unsettling or stressful or scary. Studies have shown that people hear just about a third of what might be going on in such appointments. Yeah, and it's not about being intelligent or just capable. It's sometimes you're not able to take it all in at one time, no matter what age, what your education level is. There's a lot of anxiety and stress with healthcare, and uh, so it is really helpful and important. Diane, who are your typical clients, and could you give us some case studies that illustrate what you do and who you work with? Sure. So a typical client for us is a client with, I would say, complex medical needs. And what I mean by that is they often have a team of physicians. 
primary care and various specialists. So one of my favorite, uh, this client has been with me for like 12 years. <laughs> so I always talk about her and she doesn't mind. In fact, she did a podcast for me years ago, but she contacted me when she was in her early 60s and she had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about 10 years earlier than that. And so she was an early onset Parkinson's disease patient. But when she first contacted me, she was a person who was a candidate for a procedure called deep brain stimulation surgery. And she was thinking about this surgery, but she was also overwhelmed by the prospect of it. She didn't necessarily have a family or support team to really help her with all of this. And so I started to work with her. And what I first did was I researched all, it's called DBS. I researched all the DBS programs around the country, basically. But here we were in Massachusetts and there were three major programs just in the downtown Boston area. And so she wanted to be evaluated by each of those programs, but I can't tell you all the work that went into just getting all of our medical records in one place and to all of these entities before they would even set up an appointment for her. So we did all of that. I went to all of those appointments with her. And then afterwards, we went through a whole process of you know identifying her preferences for what she wanted for a surgeon and a program and where it was, the logistics, how it was all going to happen. And I helped her sort of make her ultimate decision about where she was going to have that surgery. I went through that surgery with her actually at the hospital that day along with her mom. I made all the arrangements for her care when she came home from the hospital. She had some home care afterwards. And she's been with me now for 12 years. We've been through, you know, three battery changes in her, which are minor surgical procedures. She had a fall one time, fractured femur, hospitalization, rehab, back home, services in the home again. She has other physicians because she has osteoporosis and has treatment. So I manage all of that. <laughs> so that's like a classic client for me. But she was what I like to describe as she came to me in a controlled way in that, you know, she was not in crisis. Another classic client that comes to us is we get a call from the child of an older adult who's had some form of crisis that landed them in the hospital. And now the family is beside themselves because this person might be delirious or really struggling. And the hospital is saying this person has to go home and they're evaluating, can they really go home? Or maybe they need to go to rehab. What is rehab? And so that's a classic client that we have to jump right in and assist them with all of that, helping them to understand that entire system, how it all works, how the insurance coverage works. We will research places for their loved one to go. When they get to the next place, we plan for the next discharge. We might have to plan for an alternative living environment. So we really do soup to nuts, what I call project management for clients depending on their needs. I mean, I've even helped clients prepare for their funerals and their burials and things like that, knowing what was to come. So again, it's whatever someone needs with regards to their healthcare and all the other inputs that uh, factor in. It is just so complicated. I'm just thinking of my own experiences with my dad is doing very well. He's 92, but he's had surgeries in the past. He had neck surgery a bunch of years ago, probably eight or nine years ago. And I just remember that it was so important to negotiate his discharge from the hospital to the right rehab facility. And thank goodness, my sister, who's a geriatric professional with a master's in social work, was able to negotiate that. And But I didn't know how to do any of that. And so it's really, really vital and important when these things come up. 
It is. You know, I too have 86 and 87 year old parents who fortunately are doing very well. I'm an only child. We're very close, but I manage their care and I can't Obviously, they're my best non-paying clients. That's what I tell them all the time. (laughs) They get a kick out of it. But uh, just in the last literally six weeks, two things happened with my dad feeling dizziness as a result of a buildup of wax in his ear and my mother having a urinary tract infection that could have landed her in the hospital. And had I not been on top of those things, I could have been one of those people I just described in crisis. So We act as futurists, especially with some of these older, vulnerable individuals working so hard to prevent the crisis from occurring. Yeah. Well, thank goodness there are people like you that do what you do. They're such a valuable service. You're a professional advocate, but you're also a business owner like I am. And when I talk to business owner guests on the podcast, I ask what they see as their business's strengths, their weaknesses. And then what opportunities and threats they face over the next one to five years. And I find that to be just a helpful discussion to find out what's going on in their business, in their sector of the work that they work in. I just find it very helpful to have that discussion. So what do you see as as strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? Sure. So I think our strengths are really customized and personalized consulting to an individual and family's needs. You know, of course, there are similarities from client to client. There's probably not much I haven't seen before, but in every family situation, it can be dealt with differently. People have different preferences. People have different priorities. So we really have to, we work for them and we will accommodate whatever it is that their needs are, but also where their limits are. And for sometimes for some people, they might not want to embark on care or treatment, things like that. Our job is to support them and we can customize to whatever the situation is. So that's definitely a strength. I'm fortunate enough to have a highly skilled and experienced team. I have two other women who work for me, one who focuses on these really complex uh, project management clients where we're managing all of their healthcare. And another side of our business, as you mentioned early on, is to assist people with insurance and choosing their Medicare products or buying insurance on the open market. So my other professional is uh, highly skilled in, in that regard. So I'm very happy about that. As you might imagine, as a business owner, I'm very reliant upon them. And I guess one of the other strengths is my experience in this industry. I was one of the founding members of this industry. I started in 2004. And when I did my competitive analysis, there were very few people around the country doing this work the way that I'm doing it. But I did find a couple of others and we ended up uh, founding a national association and started in 2008, but actually the founding was in 2009. And so, you know, I have hundreds of people who come to talk to me about this industry. And so I'm like the, I have a lot of wisdom, I should say, about the industry and about being a a small business owner in this field, because it's not easy. In terms of weaknesses, I would say because the highly customized work that we do, you know, we're not really scalable. I can't tell you how often people say, well, how do you scale? Well, I really appreciate the personalized and customized approach, and that's what I want to do and want to do forever. There are certain things we can scale, but other things we really can't. The other, I guess, weakness right now is we're so busy that I am in the midst of recruiting and expanding our team. And so... That's, uh, again, we're very dependent upon each other. But if any little thing goes wrong, you know, I'm always the backup. And so I'm working pretty hard. In terms of opportunities, I, 
you know, as much as things have improved, and they have, the Affordable Care Act was a major step in the right direction, not only just for covering people in terms of insurance, but because there were a lot of components of the Affordable Care Act surrounding navigation and surrounding the fragmentation that a lot of people don't even know about. And so there have been a lot of changes in primary care practices in the delivery of that to better coordinate people's care. However, I don't ever think they're going to be able to meet the need that's out there. So I think opportunities will always exist for us. In terms of threats, I guess the only threat is some competition, but I welcome this. I've been involved for, again, many, many years with helping new entrants into the market. And I'm very excited that our industry is growing. And so I do a lot of mentoring, actually. And so as much as I'm mentoring my competitors, I welcome the opportunity because I believe that there's plenty of work for all of us. Yeah, I think... In most professions, the cream rises to the top. So you know, you can have people doing what you're doing, but if you're one of the best, your business will thrive. And you are one of the best. So you'll continue to, to thrive, I'm sure. Diane, you mentioned that you helped uh, found this professional association. I'm just curious, why did you do that? So I can't take complete credit for it. There was this woman out in California, and she had developed a practice very similar to mine. And she really had the vision and then she sought me out and then we kind of did it together. But her vision was, how do we establish, you know, we just started to do this work. We both had good educational backgrounds and experience to be able to do it, but we were making it up. You know, we were creating a new industry. And so we thought that if we brought other people of like mind together, it could really help us to establish the industry. So we joined together and it was named National Association of Healthcare Advocacy. We created our very first conference in the fall of 2009. And I think there were 20 something people who attended that conference. They're all great friends today. And they came from all over the country. But we really wanted, I, you know, I wanted to be a leader in this industry, but I wanted to share my experiences. I wanted to promote the industry. So what we moved on to do is to create, obviously, if you're selling services to consumers, you want your consumers to be protected as well. So we created a code of ethics. We developed standards and best practices. We eventually, we didn't do this, but another entity came along and in conjunction with us helped to develop a credential in this world. So it really helped to professionalize the industry and is helping the industry to grow. So, so that's right. What are some of those professional requirements? Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, it's a non-regulated industry at this point in time. And so a lot of people come to this work with previous experiences like, oh, you know, I helped care for my mom or dad, or I helped care for a child who had brain cancer, you know, whatever. And I think I know how to do this. So we don't necessarily, so people, their barrier to entry is pretty low, right? You just hang out a shingle. So now with our credentialing process, people come at it again. Some are social workers, some are nurses, some are OTs, some are insurance specialists, but now we have this credential. So it differentiates maybe a professional who has a credential from someone who doesn't. There are health advocacy education programs out there, some associated with certificate programs with universities. You know, so there's right now, there's still this wide variety of skills and experience that people bring to the role. So if you're hiring a professional advocate, you really have to do your homework to be sure that indeed you're hiring someone 
that can meet your needs, but that is committed to professional standards. And that's what the membership in the National Association does. And that's also what the credential does. Hmm. So if, if a listener wants to talk to a healthcare advocate or get referred to one, how do you find someone? And, and what does it cost? How does the user access someone like you? Yeah, so it's a challenge, right? So I've been doing marketing of my services through word of mouth and education and all that kind of stuff for years now. So I have a whole cohort of people who know about me, but there are, so I would say sometimes when people ask me, we do have our National Association of Healthcare Advocacy, and we do have the ability to search for advocates across the country via zip code searches right on that site. We then went on to develop a local, a regional group. So NAC is National Association of Healthcare Advocacy is a national group. We went on to found MACA, Massachusetts Healthcare Advocates Regional Group in Massachusetts. There's another regional group out in the Bay Area and others are bubbling up around the country. And we too have a website where you can do some searches there. The certification body called the Patient Advocate Certification Board also has everyone who's certified as a patient advocate on their website. There was another woman way back when who really created a marketing firm and she really wanted to promote this industry. It's called Advo Connection. Again, you can do zip code searches there. And then another gentleman developed this organization called Greater National Advocates. I wish we were more coordinated. You know, when we started NAC, we're a poor voluntary organization. <laughs> so, you know, you can only do so much. So I feel like we've got a lot of different ways that you can find advocates. I wish it was more streamlined right now. And then lastly, I just wanted to mention, you mentioned your sister. You know, this is kind of a, a profession that I think we have almost mimicked their progression. They're called geriatric care managers, but the name of their professional association is called Aging Life Care Association. And there's overlap between what we do and they do. And they too have a national association and you do some zip code searches on their website. So there's a host of different entities out there. If you just Google healthcare advocacy, some of these things will come up. It's not the best way, but it's, uh, again, we've got a long way to go in the industry. Oh, you asked about the cost. I just wanted to mention, you know, the cost certainly varies by region and by professional and level of preparation. I've seen people charge, usually it's an hourly rate. Some people might have some global fees depending on the type of client that they're dealing with. I've always struggled with that because I never know what's going to happen. I'm always there for the emergency. But so I would say the range is probably anywhere between $125 an hour and I've seen it as high as $350 an hour. So it depends upon what the needs are of the patient. The needs and the level of preparation, the level of experience of the advocate as well can, can command a higher price. Well, I, I will mention that if any of our listeners do want a list of these websites that uh, Diane mentioned, please reach out to me and I can pass that information on, certainly. Diane, one of the things we talked about earlier was just your specialty or your expertise in helping clients with Medicare decisions. Mm -hmm. And so could you briefly describe what you're doing there? Because I think it is of interest to many people. Sure. Well, we these referrals come from professionals like you, Peter, often. So what we do is as people are approaching the age of 65 and or making decisions about retiring and transitioning to Medicare, or even if they're going to remain working beyond this, the age of 65, there's a lot of pressure when you're turning 65, a lot of materials you receive in the mail. And it's a bit confusing about what you should do and when you should do it. So we have a process that we work with clients 
through where a referral is often made to us. We chat with the client about what their individual circumstance is. And we gather information in that initial meeting to identify, are we dealing with a couple or an individual? Do we have children who are going to need coverage? Where do they live? Where do they access their care? What's their health status? Because all of that should factor into the decision-making surrounding Medicare. We do have a, we contract with clients and then we guide them through the whole process, really educating them about Medicare, what it covers, what it doesn't cover, how it works, what the cost is, what options they can choose from. And based on their own preferences, we guide them to make their choices. And then once they make their choices, we guide them through the process of enrolling in both Medicare as well as the other products. Just seeing them all the way through transitioning from maybe an employer-sponsored plan to now Medicare and its associated products. We stay in contact with them because every fall uh, during open enrollment season, they can actually make a change. So we reach out in the fall and say, would you like to reconsider your options for last year? Why would you reconsider? We know all the reasons why. And we help them, again, reassess and make a change if needed. So that's how we work with clients surrounding Medicare. And for others purchasing insurance on the open market, maybe they're not ready for Medicare and they retired early, and but they no longer have employer-sponsored coverage. So what are they going to do? And so the process is similar. Obviously, the products are different. You know, you are just such a tremendous resource. And you and I recently have done a, a webinar on these decisions and Medicare specifically. And I would suggest if a listener is, is interested in hearing a copy of that, a recording of it, let me know and we can we can certainly send it to them. But it was really well done and uh, makes a very complicated subject much more simple and accessible to many. So thanks for doing that webinar. If someone does want to reach out to you, if they've got questions, how do they do that? Sure. Well, we have a website and you can read about us on the website. It has all of our contact information. It's healthassistcorp.com. So they can, most of the time, people will just either email me or call me and either call them back or set up a brief meeting so that I can hear about what their circumstance is and see if I'm the best professional to help them. Usually that initial call is, you know, 15 to 30 minutes at no cost to them. I ask them to tell me their story and then that can frame the conversation in terms of how I think we can be helpful or not. In the event that we're not oftentimes or not able to be helpful, and there are the recommendations for them. You know, I had a woman the other day who really could have used us, but I felt like her family member really needed what I call boots on the ground, meaning someone who could visit that family member in their home and maybe in their hospital setting or a skilled nursing facility setting because they were in California. So I went to the resources that I was describing and I shared those with her and told her about zip code searches. I gave her names of colleagues of mine across the country. She was in she was in Los Angeles, yeah. So, you know, because we are this industry of a small industry, relatively small, but because I was there at the founding, I pretty much know people all across the country that I can refer people to. And again, sometimes it's more appropriate that they seek the services of a geriatric care manager. And so I tell them about that industry. So just a call or an email would work. That's great. Well, I, I hope our listeners do reach out to you because you are just so important as far as healthcare is concerned. It just these are incredibly vital questions that, that people have and you put people at ease. You make people uh, feel like their issue, their, their anxiety can be resolved and uh, it's vital. So thank you for all that you do for our community and for those of us that access healthcare, which is 
most people at some point in their life. That's true. Thanks a lot, Diane. And if our listeners have questions about this, certainly reach out to me. They can visit my website at raskinplanning.com and uh, I can get them information about Diane and Health Assist. So thanks to you, Diane. Appreciate your time and, uh, and, you, and appreciate you as a resource. My pleasure. This is a fantastic podcast, Diane. Thank you again so much from all of us, all of us that were listening in on that conversation. Peter, of course, thank you for bringing our, on the show. And as always, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.